And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So when the angel announced to Zechariah, just a few verses before the gospel that we just heard, that he was going to have a child in his old age that would be John the Baptist, Zechariah replies, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. Um, At which point Gabriel throws down (laughs) and says, I'm Gabriel! I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you. And then he goes and curses him with silence for nine months, right? Until John the Baptist is born. The same angel, Gabriel, announces that Mary's going to give birth to the long-awaited Davidic Messiah, the Son of the Most High. And Mary replies, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's not very different from Zechariah's response, right? Zechariah says, how shall I know this for I am an old man? Mary says, how can this be for I am a virgin? But Gabriel doesn't get angry this time, right? He doesn't put Mary in a place the way he does with Zechariah. He actually answers her question, in a way, and further explains the mystery. The different response that Gabriel gives, I think, um, signals that when we speak to God in our prayers, tone that reveals the heart is really important. The the universal difference between, um, oh yeah, how? Or, oh yeah, how? Right? It could be just about the same words as in the case of Zechariah and Mary. Um, But Zechariah's was unbelieving, sort of challenging and testing God, and Mary's was believing, accepting, like, okay, well, that's going to happen. How is that going to happen? So I invite you, next time you find yourself formulating a question to God in your prayers, whether it's how or why, um, to remember Mary's gentle tone um, as opposed to Zechariah's and to seek to emulate it in your own asking God questions. Um, I think it's also interesting that uh, Gabriel's answer isn't really an answer, right? The answer is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, but Mary is a Jew. Who is this Holy Spirit fellow that you're talking about, right? The Holy Spirit's only going to be revealed fully in the dispensation of Jesus. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, overshadow is, is one of these extremely mysterious words. It's used to describe the glory of God filling the tabernacle in the Old Testament like a cloud, and then again the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. So two of the most like bizarre, numinous mo- moments in the Bible story. And that's what Gabriel offers as his explanation of the how. So he's in effect saying, it's sort of this most mysterious once in the history of the universe process. There's your answer. Mary learns that her baby will not be conceived by the normal means, that she will remain a virgin. Um, But beyond that, Gabriel's answer doesn't satisfy knowledge, right? She doesn't have like a schematic, like a roadmap of like how this is going to play out and when. But I believe that her faith was still comforted by Gabriel's answer. Mary was satisfied with Gabriel's answer. It also, it struck me this year that the Bible actually doesn't, sort of narrate, the Holy Spirit didn't speak through Luke to sort of pinpoint when does the incarnation actually happen? Right? The angel makes this announcement and somewhere between there and several weeks later when 
Mary goes to Elizabeth and she then is pregnant and John the Baptist leaps in the womb and that famous event of the visitation. Somewhere in that window is the most momentous event in human history thus far, right? Uh, the, the next, only to be outdone by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Son of God has stepped into the cosmos in Mary's womb, but it's hidden behind this veil of, of quietness and, and hiddenness. The exact moment remains a, a sacred mystery. And I, as I was thinking about that, I think that is revelatory of how God so often works. That the, the actual act of God, the decisive thing that he does in our own souls and in our lives, is very often a, a very hidden thing. It's very rarely the parting of the waters of the Red Sea for, all, for everyone to notice. It's something very hidden. In the, you know, there are recesses of the heart that we don't know about. Right? We only know ourselves partially. We have a deep, deep soul, and God is often operating it, and we only kind of find out as the effects roll on. Right? Like Mary at some point realizes she's pregnant. Elizabeth announces it. So it's like, oh, oh okay, that happened, I guess. Right? You know, God is working in us, and we know it by its later fruits. I'm thinking that the last thing that really strikes me about um, this uh, uh, gospel today for Annunciation Sunday, the last Sunday of Advent, before we celebrate Christmas this week, um, is how much pregnancy seems to resemble the Christian life. Now, I'm speaking, obviously, as a vicarious observer to this fact, but I swapped notes with Carrie. I ran this by her and said, this map's right, and she, and she did confirm. So I know not every preg- pregnancies can differ a lot between women, but um, let me offer you this as a paradigm for our own Christian life. So the earliest stages of pregnancy consist in uncertainty, right? Am I pregnant? I'm not sure. I think so, right? Just like the life of faith begins as this tiny moment, like I trusted Jesus in my heart. It's this invisible thing. Is it real? Is my life newborn? Is my baptism, have I been baptized? Or is the baptism of my childhood um, being realized? And then, very swiftly after that, comes vomiting and faintness and weakness. Right? Classic first trimester. That's, I hear the laugh of recognition. Um, and vomiting is the body purging itself. And I think so, the early stages of the Christian life are so often characterized by um, trying to shed the habits of the old man, right? The patterns of sinfulness that we fall into that the Lord wants to redeem us from re- and sanctify us through, sanctify us from. Um, and in, uh, the Church Fathers often characterize the sort of phases of, the, of Christian maturation as a three-phase thing. And they talk about it begins with the purgative phase, purgation, where what is the sort of scars and stain of sin? The Lord wants to actually work that out and bring healing to our souls as we receive his gospel. And then they talk about the illuminative stage, where having begun being cleansed by the mercy of Christ, you can begin to see the truths of God, that Trinity is no longer just a word, it's this thing, there's the description of the God who is there, right? and your spiritual eyes get to be opened. And then they talk about the final phase of maturity being um, the unitive phase, so purgative, illuminative, yeah, unitive. And unitive is where the truths of God aren't just something you know over there, they're things you participate in with your very being, right? that you know God as your Savior, and you know Him um, in the truth that He lives, who He is. This is actually why in our, the mission statement of our church that the very last thing is know the Lord Jesus, where you might expect that at, at the beginning. And that's at the end because it's about knowing Jesus really who, for yourself. 
which is at the sort of final stage. And the stages of the Christian life aren't sort of you leave one behind and move on to the next. They layer on top of each other and the previous ones abide. Anyways, back to the pregnancy metaphor. Um, there's this purging, this, uh, this sickness. And then there's the first kick. When you know that finally beyond a shadow of a doubt, there actually is a new life within. There is something crazy happening in this. And I think this is an analogy for the way works stem from living faith. Right? Living faith is hidden and you can't see it. But then when it kicks, it's like, oh, there it is. And then um, so often there's, when it's realized, wow, there really is a new life here, um, it becomes the central focus of protecting that new life and sort of making a space, you know, decorating the nursery, a focal, a focal point of existence. And then an ever-increasing love for the child that's coming, though you haven't seen the child. Right? Knowing this child's coming, the dreams, the hopes, the uncertainties, what's going to come? And then as you sort of final, the final phase of pregnancy is this longing to see the baby face-to-face, right? Let's get this baby delivered. Um, I, I've never met a pregnant woman in the third trimester who said, yeah, this could just go on indefinitely. And while there is um, a fleshly broken way of longing for death that's not of God, to be carefully distinguished. I think it's also the case that the Christian life should sort of have some of that advent, third trimester longing of, I want to see this thing face to face. I don't want to just know God as invisible spirit. I want to look at him as we will behold him face to face when we die. It's what's so holy about Christian funerals. I was at a Christian funeral of a good friend this week. I'm up in Birmingham. And amidst all the tears and the pain, there's also that sense of, wow, he's actually seeing face-to-face what we don't see, right? The, and, and think about it, the preg- pregnancy ends with this very painful labor, which I think also maps onto this analogy of the, the final sickness that will kill each of us. We're each going to probably have, unless it's by an accident, a final sickness that will lead to death. Um, and those aren't so many labor pains until we see things face-to-face, when faith becomes sight. So I offer you this paradigm of annunciation sign, the Christian life like a pregnancy. Think about it, bearing the word of God. Mary bore the word of God himself. We bear the word of God, the message of God, right? We've received this message and we carry about in our hearts and we're seeking to have our lives honor the Lord of this message. We're seeking to share the message, to bear that message into the world, just like Mary did. So Mary is a paradigm for our Christian life. I think all of this is actually um, a way of understanding the very cryptic phrase that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. He says, um, you, remember, you know the story when his family's outside and they're saying, your mother and brothers are here? And he says, um, who are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of God? I would understand that phrase if he said brothers, right? Who are my brothers? Like, people like me are the ones who do the will of God. But he says mothers. And I think Jesus is referencing that God's given us all human relationships, father, son, mother, child, all these things, as so many refractive angles of trying to understand what this mysterious life in Jesus is. And I think Jesus himself uses this image of mother, that we are bearers of the word of God um, until we see that word face to face. Amen.